Got time for a quick story? There have been several groups of legendary studio musicians over time. The one that probably gets the most amount of attention is the Wrecking Crew, the the broad consortium of L.A.-based session players in the 1960s played on innumerable tracks. Well, I mean, I suppose you could actually come up with a count, but it's a really, really high count. There was a documentary that was made on the Wrecking Crew several years ago. But there are other groups of musicians where... You, you find that they tend to play on the same recordings, and these are recordings of legendary songs by the likes of Carole King or Jackson Brown or Linda Ronstadt or Don Henley. And a lot of these guys have decided to come together and be a band of their own. They're calling themselves the immediate family. Musicians like Wadi Wachtel, guitarist, played on a lot of tracks. You've probably seen him performing live with Stevie Nicks. Lee Sklar, his long beard, playing bass for, oh gosh, so, so many acts. Russ Kunkel, who's been a session drummer for so many acts over time, played on so many legendary recordings. Steve Postel, who has started to work with these guys, especially of late, and is now part of the immediate family, brings a really interesting guitar style. And Danny Korchmar. Danny Korchmar is a guitarist. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's been a songwriter. He's been a producer. He is all of those. And he sings lead on a new song by the immediate family called Cruel Twist. Also plays guitar. And their work is coming out soon. Their complete body of work is coming out soon. I got a chance to talk to Danny Korchmar about the immediate family and start talking uh, with Danny here about Cruel Twist just came out uh, not that long ago. Um, kind of a bluesy song you guys put together there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what? Okay. You, you've had a lot of different styles throughout your career. Um, you could go through the whole list, but leave it to anyone to go listen and, and find out what you played. I don't on. really think so. I think I only have one, you know, one style, but it's an, an amalgam of, of uh, everything I grew up listening to that influenced me. Right. And that's a wide variety of stuff because there was a wide variety of music on this as I was as I was growing up and, and learning how to play. So um, it's you know my I don't go from I don't you know for instance I don't have a country style or a rock style or it's, it's all the same you know it all it's all mixed together let's say. Well, for the five of you guys doing a, doing kind of a blues riff song with this, getting into sort of a groove. Right. Really curious to hear what the rest of the album is going to sound like, what the EP sounds like, what the album sounds like. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? It's all I, I can tell you that it's it's all big beat rock and roll. Even the ballads are rock and roll ballads. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of what it's about. That's the bluesiest thing that we do. The more the more straight ahead blues thing that we do is cruel twist. But uh, you'll well, <laughs> it's better not to try to explain it to you. You'll hear yourself. It's right. You know, give a little bit of time. Remind us again. What is the What's the time frame on releasing more mat- the, the rest of the material from this project? Well, of course, because of the way things are, uh, all our, you know, a lot of our plans got you know, tossed out the window just like everybody else because of the virus. Uh, at this point, they're talking about putting it out, and I believe in uh, the fall, uh, probably late fall uh, is what they're looking at now, I think. But that might change. Okay, so rewind back to recording the music. So is everything ready to go is it all recorded and mixed or is there any Absolutely. more okay good it's all done. 
What's the process like of you five guys, and you've worked to varying degrees, you've worked together, I mean, <laughs> an infinite amount of time over your career. But now you've That's got right. you've got this five piece. You got several, especially Lee and Wadi and Russ. You you've worked together a lot. Steve is now in in this. You five guys recording in the studio. What is describe what's the process like of writing writing material, arranging who does what and what arranged uh, takes, how many live or is it overdubs? How does that all work? All right. Well, it's basically live. We cut live. We go into the studio, went into Jackson Brown's studio, and uh, we cut as a five-piece band live off the floor. And uh, the vocals are pre-recorded so that we hear the vocals in our earphones, but then we play the song live. We do pre-production where we record just the vocal, the vocals and a click track, for instance, and uh, then we all play to that. But you got to remember, uh, us guys, we played together so long that there's a heavy, uh, uh, there's a, a great amount of telepathy that goes on. We kind of know what we're going to do, and we fall together. We're rarely more than two or three takes at the most that we do on any one track, and there it is. It just pops up. Because the band, we just know how to play together. We know how to play songs, and we know how to play together from a lifetime of experience. What would you say? I'm going to go act or individual to individual. Yeah. And even though those that those that have read the liner notes, those that are familiar with session musicians know they know what to expect from Lee Sklar. They know what to expect from Wadi Wachtel in terms in, in terms of just their musicianship. But knowing mm-hmm. them as you do in a mu- in a musical sense, describe like give maybe a, a three sentence description. What would be the first thing on their overall I don't know. I don't want to say tombstone, but you you know what I mean. Something, a big descriptor for them. And how do you, as a musician, connect to that individual? Let's start. Well, let's start with the other, with, with Wadi. Let's start with Wadi Wachtel. Well, you Wadi, I mean, we've been playing together for close to 50 years, Wadi and I. And we have very different styles and, and different sounds. The thing we have in common is we both play loud. But other than that, we have different styles. My style is more of a... Uh, based on soul music and blues, then uh, his style is based uh, much more on ro- on straight ahead rock and roll. Although, I, anyway, they blend really well together because our styles are different. And we rarely do a lot of discussion, he and I. We just hit it. A, a long conversation would be, uh, you go low and I'll go high. That'd be like a long conversation okay. about, to, you know, coming up with parts. Uh, so we just we just know what we're going to do. It's just got that that telepathy, that magic going on, that communication that great musicians have. You got to remember. Well, <laughs> go ahead. I know you got more questions, so okay. I hope that was su- suffice. Oh, it's very, very much sufficient. Yeah, Lee Sklar. Mm-hmm. Well, Leland, you know, he's one of the absolutely one of the greatest musicians I ever encountered, or anyone ever encountered. It's phenomenal. He always was. He was in 1971 when I first heard him play. I thought he was the most incredible bass player I'd ever heard, and he's improved if that was possible since then. And his scope of um, it, it, just his, I don't know, just his musicianship. It's hard to say. He's got the best sound, you know, of anyone. Uh, and he just knows how to play songs. He's a very smart guy, very creative fellow. And he listens and knows how to play songs. He knows how to fit in. He knows when to play a lot. He knows when to play a little. He has no preconceived notion in terms of, he doesn't think a bass part is boring because it's not uh, 16th notes, it's not all over the place. He considers just playing whole notes just as important as playing like, you know, heavy duty uh, fusion, fusion-esque stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so he's that kind of a guy. He's just got a great attitude that comes from years and years and years of doing sessions with great musicians and playing great songs. Mm-hmm. Russ Gunkel. Russ is a very similar thing. Russ is a rock and roller from the ground up. He's uh, been playing in rock and roll bands since he was a teenager. 
and he's got that big beat going on. It's phenomenal. But he also has big, big ears and he listens. We learned how to play songs very early because we were playing with great uh, songwriters. Uh, so we, we would listen to what the song is and figure out how to, uh, to come up with something that's going to help the song. And that's been our, our philosophy in doing sessions all along. And what Russ is brilliant to that. He listens, he knows how to fit in, he knows how to find a sound and a groove that's going to help the song that he's playing. And yeah. he's one of the greatest ever. Mm -hmm. And Steve Postel. Steve is a very bright fellow, and he's got uh, uh, he's got the kind of chops that Waddy and I don't have. Steve came up playing classical guitar, which neither Waddy and I can do. And uh, he's got that high tenor, so he fits beautifully with us. He can sing above us, so we can do three-part harmonies. I mean, we're not the Eagles, <laughs> never will be, but we can, you know, we have our own sound and, and you know, he adds a tremendous amount to it with his high voice and his uh, ability to fit in against what uh, Watt and I are doing. Mm -hmm. Of the songs that are going to be on this album, I mean, they're obviously all are songs you're going to want to talk about and want people to listen to, but are there any special moments in any of the particular songs you're excited about people hearing once they all come out to the public? Well, you know, I, I can't pick one because I'm thrilled with all the songs that are on that record. Uh, uh, we consider ourselves uh, a band that's about the songs largely. Um, and, uh, you know, in other words, there are no long solos. There, there's no long jams or anything like that. We're not a jam band. We're, we're basically a band that plays songs. And uh, so to, to pick out in individual moments, I'm not sure. I'm so proud and thrilled with all of it, uh, that, uh, especially the songwriting and our performances of those songs It'd be hard to pick out individual little moments. Uh, the album, I think, is, when it gets released in the States, is going to be called Can't Stop Progress. And that's a tune. I started that tune with Stan Lynch a few years ago. And then Wadi and I got together with it and finished it up. And it's just rocking, you know. Anyway, that's the opening. I think it's the opening track. Anyway, it's it's the title track of the album. And uh, you're going to dig it. Cool. Are there any other guests that are going to be on, or is it just you five? No guests. Just, just the us. five. Okay, and who who ultimately is the producer of this of this project? Well, it's a collaborative effort. All the guys in the band are, you know, I've had so much experience in the studio that it's hard to pick out who the producer is. But I would say that uh, that Wadi and Steve and myself did most of the work um, uh, pre-production and post-production. Mm -hmm. That is to say, uh, after we got the basic tracks, we had to put vocals on, we do a few overdubs. So I would say that maybe the three of us had took the lead, but. Ultimately, the album is produced by the band, by all of us, you know, and everyone contributes a lot to the, to the production. We, you know, we don't need one guy to tell us what to do. And we don't we don't need to elect one guy in the band to tell us what to do. It's very much a democracy. Mm -hmm. um, you guys perform together, obviously, over a, a little while. How of the, since you five started at, at this particular chemistry started to started to perform together, how if at all, has the sound changed of the immediate family up until you guys were last five able to perform together? Well, you know, every time we play, we get better, just like every other band. You know, the more experience we have uh, playing the songs, the better we get at it. And uh, we start off, as you know, we start off at a pretty high place considering the uh, incredible musicianship that's in this band. Um, but we get even tighter as, as we play them live. It's it's great experience playing, playing in front of an audience. We love that and we really miss it, I can tell you terribly because uh because of the virus we're unable to uh to play out which we miss a lot mm -hmm. so uh um all i can tell you is that we're still improving as a band and we always will be hmm. um going back to the genesis of the project of of the immediate family correct me if i'm wrong in this but i'll let you just tell the story to our listeners and our viewers 
that it came what from working on a solo album, getting the guys to help out with that, and then it, especially I'm curious, what was the point where you or someone else collectively went, all right, let's do this as a project, and you all realized we got a five piece here. We're going to call this, you know, come up with come up with a name, do all of that. Tell us the story from that. All right, so. Um... The first album was a, uh, a solo. I was offered a, a solo deal by a Japanese label called Vivid Records, Vivid Recorders. And uh, we thought about how I was going to do it and what band I was going to do it with and what, what musicians I would use. And then I realized the cats were all around. You know, they're, they amazingly, Russ and Lee were not on the road. Wadi was just coming off the road from, I think, Stevie. Yes, who works with regularly. And um, Postel was around. I'd done a lot of work with him already. And we did, he and I did a lot of pre-production work on it, uh, putting together, writing out charts and, and getting prepared to do it very efficiently. And uh, amazingly, everyone was around, everyone was available. So we got into the studio together. As soon as we started playing together, I went, oh, this is so amazingly great to play with my old brothers, to play with my buddies, my favorite people, my best friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it went along, there was no one moment where I said, oh, let's make it a band, <laughs> like a Mickey Rooney movie or something. There wasn't that, it just kind of fell into place. Uh, I came up with the name Immediate Family because that's what we are. And um, there was a, uh, a gig in Japan. They wanted me to come over to Japan and do a couple of, do some gigs over there. The fellows were on board. And at that point, it was a band. And um, they went from being Danny Korchmar to Danny Korchmar and the Immediate Family to the Immediate Family, uh, which it is now. There's going to be a doctor. So it just, fell to, it just fell together, you know, uh, uh, the way good things do. Yes. There was going to be a documentary about you guys – as well. Um, yes, there's Danny a documentary in process being made by Denny Tedesco, the fellow who did the Wrecking Crew documentary, and he's doing one on us. We're getting, we're interviewing a lot of our old pals and a lot of the people we work with, a lot of great, great artists that we work with, and it'll be, uh, it's going to be good. The thing about us is, uh, we're still playing rock and roll, you know, after all this time. So that's kind of the hook of, mm-hmm. of, of the, uh, the documentary. So I would, I'd have to presume, having seen the Wrecking Crew documentary and I know how that was all laid out and of course they had interviews from over a long period of time because they had to they you know had to catch his father earlier on and so there were a long wave of interviews over over time this obviously is more compact in terms of the of the time but I have to imagine the layout's going to be pretty similar to the way the Wrecking Crew documentary was told I think not uh, because a lot of the guys in the Wrecking Crew were gone by the time the thing was made for one thing also you know uh, the it wasn't as documented as we were. Uh, there's tons and tons of footage of us playing with James Taylor in 1971, uh, going all the way on. on. And uh, that's one part of it. The other part is that the Wrecking Crew never toured. They would not leave town. Those fellows were session musicians, and they didn't want to leave town and go on tour because then they would lose their chair, as it were, and uh, the gigs would start going to someone else. So those guys were definitely locked into the studio scene. Uh, so that's a big difference. Another big difference is, and I, you know, at this point, I, I'd have to mention um, P- Peter Asher and and Lou Adler because those guys put our names on the records. For instance, on Tapestry, we were all listed. The uh, Wrecking Crew, they were never listed. The musicians were never listed, and we were. So that uh, gave us a huge uh, boost in order of getting more work and, and more everything. So uh, th- those elements uh, certainly are different than Wrecking Crew. You had uh, you had the section back in the seventies, different different uh understand different musically than the immediate family if right. if you could have how 
how often would you have wanted to be, and I think you've talked about this before in terms of wanting to be like a, a singer as opposed to like a session, or be an artist as opposed to a session musician, but how, if you if you could have done it all over again, would you have wanted to have been in your own band and be identified for that own band or your own solo career for the past 50-odd years had life worked out a different way? I can't say that I would cha- change anything because of the incredible people I got to play with. You know, I got to tour with like some of the most amazing talents. You know, in the 70s, I toured with James Taylor, Carol King, Crosby and Nash, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, if, if I had done what you're suggesting, I would have missed playing with all those incredible people. <laughs> so I learned so much about songs and about performance and about singing and doing that. So I wouldn't change a thing. No. No. It's a good thing you mentioned Linda Ronstadt in particular. I was, yeah. I have to ask you about the Hurt So Bad guitar solo. Okay. To, to me is one of the more... I guess goosebump inducing solos, in particular the transition from her voice as she starts to go up, 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 and the guitar comes in. And what always strikes me about that is how the two blend, same pitch, almost the same note. I go, oh my word, what just happened right there? And it's not even a you you play just a grinding kind of solo in that. How did that part come together? And I'm particularly curious. Did you guys plan for her voice to hit your note there and start writing on that on that repeated high note? Uh, no, didn't plan anything. Really? I, yeah, I, there was no process at all. As a matter of fact, I don't remember anything except being uh, Peter Escher saying, play a solo here and going for it. Um, that was it. And that's what came out. So it was just instinctual. I just followed my instincts. I, believe me, it was not planned out. But it worked out very well, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah one of one of the one of the better guitar solos, quite honestly, of of the nineteen eighties. I, I would say point blank. Of again, it fits the song and it fits her voice very well, and that that's what what I like about it. Exactly. Um, of the of the session work that you did, what is if if you can name it, uh, one or or several? It doesn't have to be an individual. Um, maybe more underrated songs in which you played or performances you did on whatever instrument, what whatever, that not the legendary ones like that or it's too late or one of those, or maybe that's one you would say. But one that maybe is more underrated, people don't necessarily know about it. You point to that and say, look, that was actually really special. That was a cool part to, to be part of. Oh, man. There's so much <laughs> stuff. I'd say uh, Henley's I Will Not Go Quietly is a fantastic track that should have gotten, I wish it gotten more attention than it did. I think it's really, really came up with it. Uh, I'd say, uh, geez, I don't know. Let me think now. Uh, James Taylor's um, got to stop thinking about that. That's a, a tune I wrote with him and produced Steve Jordan on drums and myself. That came out real, real great. Geez, man. I, you know, I've had so many incredible moments in the studio and on tour with, with all these great artists. It'd be really hard to pick it apart. Mm-hmm. I tell you, uh, you know, I'd be leaving stuff out. If I, if I mention one, then I should mention 50. <laughs> so just listen to all of them basically and you, and you get it right there um i would say, i would ask the same question about production um anything you produced in particular but i have to imagine you're probably going to answer the same way on that well i think the stuff we did with henley was great you know i'm really really proud of that stuff and came out brilliantly um there's other stuff i did for instance um, i worked with neil young on his album landing on water which is another album that doesn't get the credit it deserves it's, it's brilliant i don't care what anyone says that's a brilliant album man Neil Young doesn't do crap, all right? Right. And, uh, you know, he's above the critics. He's above He's above all this stuff, all right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't bother criticizing him. Might as well be criticizing John Lennon or Jimmy Hendrix. Leave him alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's an album that should have gotten more credit than, than uh, it 
it, it deserved. There's another, another album uh, uh, that I worked on, which is, came out of the rubric of the fabulous Thunderbirds. It's called High Water. You barely can find it. It's, it got released and it died immediately. That was an album that I made with Steve Jordan and Kim Wilson, just the three of us. And we did all the stuff, everything. We played all the instruments. We sang background parts. We wrote the songs, did the whole thing. Recorded it at Steve's studio in Manhattan. And that's, a, I, that's one of my favorite albums that I worked on. And I'd have to name another one, um, Ivan Neville's album called If My Ancestors Could See Me Now. Great album. Ivan Neville's really super talented. And that's a terrific album that didn't get the credit I thought it deserved. The other four guys in the immediate family, so I'll ask about that. What performance of theirs uh, is your favorite of, and we'll start with Wadi Wapto. What's your favorite performance that he's put down on tape for anyone could be whatever, what is it? Well, oh man. <laughs> How about all the stuff he did with Keith Richards? All right, mm -hmm. let's start with that. You know, him and Keith just did brilliantly together. How about all the stuff he did with Stevie, with Stevie Nicks? His mm -hmm. parts on those records are absolutely brilliant and perfect. Um, you know, what a very bright guy, a very astute musician, a sensitive musician, and a very bright guy. He knows how to find the right parts. Um, so I, instead of picking one song, I have to pick a kind of a, a, a grouping, you know. Yeah. What he did uh, with, with uh, on those two records, uh, with those two artists, absolutely terrific, wonderful. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's expand that then for, for the remaining three as well, because it's probably going to be the same case. So we'll go next to Lee Sklar. What's the favorite work of art of his that you most like? Well, uh, you got to listen to Billy, Billy Cobham's Spectrum album. Lee's all over that, and he sounds great on it, amazingly great. And, of course, you know, Billy being the, the virtuoso that he is, the fact that he picked Leland shows what a smart guy <laughs> Billy is because he was exactly the right guy. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I mean, you know, listen to his work on James Taylor's records, the melodic bass playing that he does, uh, uh, the way he finds his way around. It's not easy playing with James, you know, um, because he covers everything with his, uh, his finger-picking style. In other words, he's playing pretty much the bass part with his thumb and, and the harmony parts up here. So uh, you got to be pretty astute to find a part. Leland says he just plays James's thumb, but he does more than that, you know. <laughs> so his playing on those James Taylor records is exemplary, and, and I would suggest every bass player check that out because there is no better. There is none better. Yeah. Um, Russ Kunkel. Well, Dick Russ is, to start with, back in 1971, is playing on Fire and Rain. Mm -hmm. um, he figured out a way. James is playing acoustic guitar. And he figured out a way to get powerful fills going without overpowering the acoustic guitar. And that's how smart he is and how, how thoughtful he is as a musician. And then uh, take that all the way through to, um, I mean, if you listen to Band We Had the Section, his playing on that is also absolutely brilliant and, and uh, right in the slot. You know, Russ always plays in the pocket, but he always is listening and paying attention to what everybody else is playing. Again, picking out one tune is yeah. really difficult with any of these guys. You know? Right. Because everything they do is great, you know, so. It's a little tricky. Yeah, interesting you said Fire and Rain, because that was the song that was going through my head as I was asking that question. I'm like, I wonder if he's going to say Fire and Rain. And yeah, lo and behold, every, every time I hear that, and I hear the, the it's like the, the subtle boom of the, of, the, of the toms. And it's like, okay, but right. it's, it's not overpowering, but it's there. And I immediately think of Russ's style of play on that. Well, you're exactly right. That's, you know, like I said, that shows how sensitive and how tough he is. Mm -hmm. Russ is a rock and roll, you know, but he's playing with James now. James is not a rock and roll. James plays, his music is quieter and more you know, introverted mm -hmm. and so uh he had to find a way to get some power going without overpowering james's acoustic guitar and the song and he did and this was when when he was a kid you know right so 
Good for him. Steve, smart, smart guy. Oh, gosh, yeah. That, that's the other thing I keep thinking of is the age of everyone involved. I mean, it, it's not like you all have been doing this for, for 20, 30 years by the time you're starting to make names for yourself. You guys were you know, around college age or, or so would be the equivalent of that, and you're putting out this these legendary parts that people are still trying to emulate 50-odd years later. Right, right. Uh, Steve, yeah. Steve Postel. Steve is a really all-around terrific musician, and uh, is playing on my first, on the, well, what was supposedly my, my solo album, which is Honey Don't Leave L.A. It was terrific. It turned out to be an immediate family album. But anyway, uh, uh, with, with Steve, everything he plays, he's very thoughtful. He's paying attention. Terrific slide player beautiful uh, finger-picking guy, like like I was saying earlier, he can do that, and Juan and I can't. He studied classical guitar, Juan and I studied the Rolling Stones. You know? So uh, he has he brings something different that we that Wadi and I don't do to the to, to the uh, to the program. I would say, you know, just listen to our albums and you'll hear terrific stuff from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes along with uh, what Wadi and I are doing. Again, picking out individual moments is very difficult. You yeah. Know? Um, but he's got a lot of moments to shine on our albums. Yeah. I mean, cumulatively, and I, I, I know, okay, you could just go through the liners and, and do a count. But have you guys ever figured out how many recordings cumulative? And I know, obviously, you guys are on multiple recordings at the same time. But how many recordings you guys are on in total in history? Oh, oh God. <laughs> you know, many. Yeah. Especially, especially Leland. Leland's been doing dates for the last 50 years. He's played on so many records. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's his thing. Now me, I was, uh, you know, I was on tour a lot. And then when I got kicked upstairs to producer, courtesy of Mr. Henley, I, I wasn't doing record dates at all anymore. I stopped doing record dates and stopped touring and just concentrated on songwriting and producing, which is uh, mostly interested in, in songwriting at this point now. Um, so, uh, uh, Trying to put together how many, I mean, Leland's thousands, just Lee, you know, I mean, Lee and Russ, more thousands, you know, uh, and then Wadi and I, more thousands. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. I, I can't, you know, I, I really can't uh, even begin to come up with a number uh, that would be even close to accurate, but what, lots. Yeah. What is, yeah. what's your ultimate philosophy approach to production? Well, start with the song and the singer. You got to do something that's going to help the song and help the singer, and find something interesting that's going to set the song up, uh, and 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 that's going to make you draw you into the song, draw you into the, to the singer. Now, there's lots of ways to do that, but you want to catch, you want to find stuff that's going to, like I said, that's attractive, that, that's interesting, and that brings people that makes them lean forward, and it could be anything. Uh, it doesn't. There's no one thing that that could be. I always look for hooks, uh, statements, you know, phrases that will. Uh, get you going right away, even before the song starts, and then of course the rest of it is to help the singer and and the, and the uh, to, to help the song and the singer is, is everything you want to bring forth what's there already. And that is to me that's what a producer job is, you know, at least that, that kind of production. Now modern production is more about beats and uh, and stuff like that, but um, I'm from the old school, so I'm interested in songs. You know, so that would be everything. You know, everything I do is based on. What's the song? What is it about the singer? How can I help this guy or girl to get their message over and tell the story? A couple more questions for you before we wrap up. First, if you could have any all-star or all-session musician, all-musician, all-whatever group, include, we'll, we'll start with the five in the immediate family, would there be an even bigger fantasy group, people that aren't with us anymore, people, whatever, or is this kind of it? Like this is the five. What 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 would be your fantasy? 
Well, I can tell you, you know, who some of my other favorite musicians are, you know, along with Lee Sklar on bass, there's Bob Glaub, who's brilliant. Mm-hmm. There's Pino Palladino, who's ridiculously mm-hmm. great, you know. Yeah. Um, on, on drums, one, you know, my best friends, I guess, are drummers. You know, Jim, Jimmy Keltner is, is one of my best friends and mm-hmm. just an incredibly great musician, an artist, really. Um, Steve Jordan, forget it, you know. <laughs> one of the best musicians alive right now, without a doubt. And these guys are my best friends, you know, as well. Kenny Aronoff is brilliant, great great drummer on keys jim cox who played on the first album fantastic keyboard player david page brilliant my buddy steve lukather one of my favorite people yes. in the whole world uh, i love him uh, unfortunately jesse ed davis who i loved is gone not with us anymore i love playing with him he was a great pal of mine and i miss him all the time um gee man you know who else john mclaughlin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know one of my heroes i love john mclaughlin also a great person lovely lovely man and a brilliant brilliant musician uh man i could go on all day about guys that i love you know and uh people that i have played with and would love to play with some more there's many wow so that's a that's a start right there <laughs> that's a heck of a start so last question for you in about the last minute we have the the future plans for the immediate family not only with the upcoming release but down the road from there what's the future like for the band we're just going to keep going. What we're doing now is we're going to do a, a streaming concert next week. In fact, uh, uh, we're going to do it. You know, we're just going to start streaming live gigs because we can't tour, you know, unfortunately. Uh, so we're going to do what a lot of people are doing. There's a lot of clubs here in, in the L.A. area that are uh, have, have turned their their uh, their their venues o- open to uh, bands coming in, playing without an audience, but four camera shoots and they're, they're streamed and and people go online. We're going to do that until we can go out and tour and play in front of audiences again, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this album that's finished. We want to promote. We think it's great. We totally believe in it. We've got the documentary that we're doing, which we're going to continue doing uh, now, now that uh, we're going to do some more of that, more work on that. Um, we're doing little videos of all kinds of stuff. We're still writing. I'm still writing. I write all the time. I write songs. You know, I'm working on songs pretty much all the time. And um, so that, that's the plan. In other words, the same plan as always, you know, keep going, do it all. You play, you write, you rehearse, you play some more, you, you write some more, you know, you think of, we think of every idea we can think of to keep the thing alive and keep it going uh, while we're in this horrible state that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're doing the same thing every other band is doing that wants to play and that loves playing. Danny Korchmar, The Immediate Family, uh, we're looking forward to all of this coming up. Thank you very much for doing what you do, and thank you for what you've done. And take care. All the best, and uh, keep keep on playing. Thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. Danny Korchmar. Oh, how much work he's done. As you, as you could tell, it just lists off everything there, and you go, probably the stuff he's forgotten is way more than any of us will ever know. And all of the – all of the uh, – acts he's worked with all of the songs and projects he's worked with it's, it's it's really really incredible the immediate family cruel twist is the name of the song that is already out as he was just mentioning there's a documentary to come of course the album is still to come that streaming concert uh, the following week from when we're taping this which is on june 17th of 2020 so the following week is the streaming concert um yeah definitely if if you like yourself some classic music in the pop and rock world, you got to pay attention to these guys. Again, it is the immediate family. That is their name. And you can learn more about them if you go online. You can find them 
on Facebook. They've got their own Facebook page. Just look for The Immediate Family, and you'll get more information right there. Follow along with uh, with what they're working on. And they got that video out for Cruel Twist. This has been the latest edition of the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. Thanks, as always, to Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, my employer. And they provide the facilities to do these interviews. Uh, you can listen to a lot of interviews that we do, including these. If you go to GreatestHits981.com, click on Interviews. There are additional interviews, and with uh, other musicians there, you can find as well. You can also find Got Time for a Quick Story on, on well, wherever you go for podcasts. Via Apple, Android, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you get more, more information about when new episodes arrive. And also, rate it up if you can so more word gets spread. Got Time for a Quick Story. I'm Luke Anthony.